just about ready to roll here. All right, perfect. Uh, welcome, welcome anybody that's going to be able to jump on with us live. And, and obviously, if you're listening to us after the fact, um, you know, my name is Reed Clanahan. Uh, my partner, Frank, will be in here shortly. And, um, you know, I'm more on the operations side, you know, as far as uh, as far as any by the bedroom rentals, co-living, as we're ta um, talking about with NACO. Uh, he's more on the wholesale side. He's like a top one percenter when it comes to knowing how to do these um, wholesale deals. And over the last uh, couple of weeks, we obviously uh, went into more of an intro of, hey, this is what NACO is. It's really meant to be a place where people are collaborating. Uh, they are um, getting more deals over the finish line. And, you know, the idea is to continue to bring you uh, new information, knowledge, resources every single week uh, to help you do the same. And, you know, the idea is that it's a it's a uh, collaborative um, environment when it comes to just getting more overall deals over the finish line. Uh, we do have a, uh, a special guest uh, here in a minute who I'm going to introduce. Uh, but before we do, I want to go ahead and just categorize a couple of different um, avatars that we see in this group and you'll see as you know like as the weeks progress as we mentioned you know intro uh, we went into wholesaling uh, creative deals last week was more on operations and then this week is going to be more on transaction coordination and then next week I imagine you know our fourth avatar is going to be more around the investor and helping them get clear around uh, kind of who they are specifically so uh, without further ado I'd like to go ahead and uh, introduce um, our guests um, Caleb Christopher with CreativeTC.io. Uh, he is a wealth of knowledge. Um, you're going to understand why we brought him on. Uh, and uh, yeah, any of you transaction coordination uh, folks. So, you know, number three of those kind of avatars I was talking about. Um, tune in. You know, this is, this is really uh, where uh, the rubber hits the road because we can't all do what we do unless there's somebody really help, helping us safely and effectively get deals over the finish line and uh, do, to do them properly. So let me just go ahead and uh, see if we can add Frank in here. Let's see, Frank, uh, we're having, having a couple issues here, so I might just, uh, you just let me know when you come back in. But Caleb Christopher, welcome. We appreciate uh, having you on. Thank you. Nice to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to start with uh, just anybody that has never been, um, does, just maybe learned what a TC is, but isn't acclimated with a, uh, with, with what you guys do specifically. If you could just give us the, uh, you know, kind of 30 uh, second intro on who yeah. you are and then obviously um, creative TC as well. We could start there. Yeah. So I am uh, a nerd that started doing my own deals with people. JV, I was a JV closer. I've done I think all the different, I've sat in all the chairs in a wholesale operation just so that I could. Uh, started doing my own deals and DI tried myself into everything and transaction coordination on creative deals sucked so bad because there were so many questions and there was not very much guidance. So because of the level of suckitude there, honestly, I'm like somebody needs to step up and fill this gap and provide edu education because it's it's hurting wholesalers, it's hurting agents uh, and and whoever else is involved and sellers to not have this stuff right and to to understand it. And there's a lot of misconceptions going around, so I'm gonna get in there, get into the guts of a lot of transactions, see it all from the inside, and figure it out and kind of document the process and share that with people. So that's what I did. I I taught for a whole year, um, two two hours on Saturdays to just let people know what I was going through. Wow. Yeah. Very, very cool there. So obviously a lot we can dive into and, um, and yep, we have, uh, Frank joining us. Welcome, Frank. Hello, gentlemen, I had a little bit of issues with my, uh, technical difficulties today. How are you, how, how's everybody doing? Wonderful. Doing great. Doing great. Yeah. All you missed is we were just prefacing people on, this is our, our kind of third week talking about the different folks that we really see in, in our group specifically around, uh, creative, you know, I should just say TC, uh, TC, so transaction coordination and really how, you know, we get deals over the finish line. So I guess, uh, that was, that was a really good, um, starting place for us and we can, um, let, the conversation go wherever it goes. So Frank, feel free to jump in as well. Uh, but I guess just to go ahead and kind of kick off the conversation, um, Caleb, what are uh, some of the things that you see come up more times than not on a uh, on a transaction that let's say if the TC hadn't been there, there hadn't been a second set of eyes um, that could have been problematic for that buyer, you know, seeing that a lot of these sub two and seller finance deals, they're probably unrepresented, right? Yeah. 
a, a lot of the off-market deals mean no agents involved, no attorneys involved. And the only attorney that would be involved is supposed to be a closing attorney who's supposed to be impartial, which I've seen them be, be very partial in these circumstances. And I'm like, well, how are you? Anyway, that's the sort of stuff that I also see go wrong, though. So <clears throat> I've got a whole uh, speech about your exit determines your entry for wholesalers, particularly in creative finance deals. Like think of a race car going around a curve, right? If, if you get your entry wrong, you're going to slide off the track or not have the speed you want on the outside, on the other side of the turn. So if we look at that from a wholesale perspective, with creative deals in particular, you need to slow down and understand what it is that you're going to be doing on the on the on the closing side. How you're going to dispo? Are you holding it? Or are you uh, handing it off to somebody? What is their exit strategy? Understanding all of that from the front end is critical to long-term success, to the marketability of the deal. So. Uh, I preface that with I'm a super nerd, so I'm looking at the whole big picture and I go more towards the consultant. So transaction coordination can go from, hey, I run your paperwork and keep communication so that you can focus on on you do you as a wholesaler. So there's that side of things like there's the low end of coordination, which is administrative assistant, get stuff done, manage communication and make sure the right paperwork's in there. You know, pre-fill the blanks and things like that. That's the base level transaction coordination. And it goes all the way up to including some underwriting and deal engineering and things like that. And I would say on the high end of that is the, the consultant. So for me, TC stands for transaction consultant, and I'm building a team that's specifically focused on that. But depending upon where you are in that along that continuum or what types of deals you're doing, you need to hire the right person to fit in there. So, and again, with the, hey, like I said, idea, I tried everything as a, <laughs> to, to get started. And I've seen all the, the problems along the way. Hey, Caleb, I uh, wanted to say it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, Thank you. I hadn't formally met you yet. Uh, my name is Frank Bell, and I work with uh, Reed here. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've done a few deals together, and we kind of got a good synergy together, and we kind of launched this NACO podcast or whatever we're doing here. And so it's a pleasure to meet you and, um, you know, get involved and understand what your business model is. And um, I'm also, just to share with you, I'm a wholesaler. I operate from Texas. And, you know, I wholesale almost exclusively creative deals. Oh, okay. And I'm doing, you know, five to 10 deals a month uh, throughout the United States, but primarily in Texas. And uh, we've recently made a big focus towards uh, rent by room investments and acquisitions and wholesaling everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's why me and Reed came together and kind of really created a focused discussion podcast here. And um, yeah. it's like, I, I, what would be interesting, you know, I think, and maybe others to hear would be kind of, um, you know, how would a transaction coordination company such as yours um, and a transaction consultant such as you, um, like how, how, how can you really fit in with the model of, you know, buying sub twos, most likely via a wholesaler, right? And so you've got to look at the deal and make sure it's put together legally and correctly, right? And you, they need to kind of lean on you a little bit for that anyway. Um, and so how... Um, how do you see that integrating well with, uh, you know, this kind of a model? Like, I, I know that it's still just general work for you, but what nuances do you see? Yeah, under, understanding the specific business model of the the team we're, we're plugging into, right? So a lot of people hire me onesie twosie because they're doing one to three deals a month. They want me on some deals, not on others. If they're not sure it's going to close, right? Because we charge a deposit that's not refundable. And then at the end, we charge the, the final bit. Some people don't want to pay the deposit if they're not sure it's a great deal. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. But uh, also understanding your your exit. So if you're going to go for a rent by the room, that affects how you need to put it under contract and, and some other, and the underwriting and things like that, because you need to know who your buyer is. So if, if you're, who's my client, right? Is it the wholesaler or is it the end buyer? That That's two different modes of operation that I need. I really like working for end buyers because I get to I don't yeah. know, bring the hammer down on so, anybody else who's got their, doesn't have their stuff in line. And when I'm working with the wholesaler, it's like, who's my client is the main focus I have to work on there. I, I highly agree with you, actually, you know, being a front facing kind of screen towards wholesalers in general is a good position, you know, for you to be posturing. Right. And I definitely, right. that. Um, and so I would, you know, I, I, I suppose like, I guess the question then becomes, how is it, how does your vetting process work as you're front facing and helping to screen um, and, and looking at deals that are creative deals, right? And then bring brought forth by wholesalers yeah. on a creative basis. Yeah, so we'll look at deals. People bring deals to us 
just to like say, well, you take this deal. Every deal's an application to to have us work for it, and we turn we generally turn away probate, uh, unsettled probate, things that are messy with divorce. Because when you're leaving a loan in place, that divorce couple probably not going to work well together. And most times, wholesalers have just not even addressed that. I'm like, go address that issue. Get them both to sign and agree to this whole this whole idea before I'll take that on. Things like that come into play. I think I, I uh, that that might off, be that, that might be a good um, that might be a really good segue too. So um, I, I've noticed when I've worked with you know I'm I'm as the end buyer uh, in in these scenarios. Right. So I've noticed when I've worked with wholesalers in the past, you know you can really tell which ones have done their homework up front and had all the conversations with people um, yes. up front and really kind of you know moved all, all the roadblocks out of your way uh, along the way. So I guess you know, to, to maybe the wholesaler out there that they're like, Hey, I just thought I could just flip these deals and it'd be really quick money and all this kind of stuff. And then, then all, there's all these lagging conversations that have to happen afterwards. Did you get yeah. the, the information for this? Did, did you get the power of attorney? Um, there's a lot of communication that has to happen there. So where would you say, I guess a wholesaler should typically leave off and then where would you guys pick up in that process? I don't think it's a pass the baton sort of thing. It's it's we work it with you. And for me as a third party, my company's a third party. So it's still your deal. And we're going to help you. Let me uh, here, uh, Caleb. So you're right. As a transaction coordinator, you need like a unified direction with the contract and its agreement and the end buyer and all of it needs to align for you to dedicate resources to basically atten attending the file. Just yeah, I mean, we'll we'll do some cleanup too, right? If if it's like I think you're moving in the right direction, I'll help you have critical conversations with the seller and things like that. But if it's clear to me they don't understand what they're getting into, I might Pro turn that deal away and say you need to continue this conversation. They don't understand the deal that you've tried to put them into. You yeah. understand the end, but you have not communicated effectively, and I don't want to plug into that because I want to work on a deal that I'm confident is going to close. So. Um yeah, so that's essentially something that you would hope would come forth from a wholesaler, correct? But often doesn't. Sure. Have an interaction where there's a buyer that is really not maybe sometimes very uh, familiar with or hasn't done too many deals, less sophisticated, and really unsure how to underwrite. And then the wholesaler is also being maybe less than forthcoming in the, you know, the the true reality. That's of common. <laughs> This is gonna, you know, often erupt where there's just the thing just kind of uh, stalls out, and so that's where guys like Reed and I come in. You know, we manage the the whole process all the way from the the first contract with the seller, the you know the underwriting of it, the inspection of it, the build out, the furnishing, the decor, the yeah. contract, the payment gateways, everything, right? Yeah. And that way, we're able to work with folks that don't want to maybe spend all their time, you know, looking at deals and seeing if they're good or not or knowing if they're good or not or spending the, the time of you know energy to, to learn how to do that and then moving forward all of the little nuance the little small things that are involved with rent by room so you know i think a part of what i think you know where we can have a lot of alignment is you know where there's a, a kind of a um, a consultant uh specialist like reader i that's basically helping to kind of quarterback the deal as it moves through the process right and so um, I think what, and, that, and at the end of the day, that's what Reed and I do. Right. And so, um, you know, how would you, what would you say in terms of working with guys like Reed and I, where we're kind of corralling all of the divorce problems and probate problems and shopping the deal to make sure it's good for, you know, our JV partners. Um, how, how could you work with a, with a operator like that, that perhaps has deal flow? Let me suggest at least three deals a month. Sure. And that's, I think getting close to five deals a month is ideal for us to do like a, uh, a half-time embedded person where we can put one of our people reserve capacity with one person. Because when you're doing that sort of stuff, when you've got uh, consistent operations, there's efficiency for everybody involved. When you have one or two dedicated people, get to know your style, get to know your communication, get to be like the go-to person for this, that, and the other to assist. That's a really good way for us to plug in. So if you're doing three to five deals a month, then we can enter into, like my team already does this, we enter into a um, ongoing like monthly base rate, and then we'll reserve a, a specific employee for at least this many deals with that company. And that, and we can use your emails or army email system, whichever one to communicate internally on those deals. And we really treat it like project management. Each deal has stages in a pipeline. Now you're taught, you're, 
your operation is more full scope, whereas transaction coordination for us is a little bit more like this because you go past close of escrow onward, and we're now we're looking past we're looking past close of escrow, but we want to land at close of escrow with the right paperwork in place and a little bit of guidance and a little pat on the butt out the out the door. You know what I mean? It's like, right, okay, that, you're the operator. Here, here's all the information. Here's a little, t a few tips and tricks. Call us if you have any questions. But from here forward, you're the one that has to actually do the things. Right. And at the end of the day, you don't really want to do business with the guys that don't really know what's going on. Need to lean on you for every little detail. Don't know. Yeah, how we do to a lot of training for for a newer wholesale. So if you're a newer wholesaler and you're like, I'm not sure if this is a, a, a great deal. We had somebody pay us a non-refundable deposit. I think they paid 940 bucks within 12 hours and we worked in the evening like after after dinner and stuff we re-underwrote the deal with them to help them understand and i was like i don't think you're gonna need a private money lender for this and this was a buyer it was for a deal that was already under contract well he had not sent his earnest money in which would have been five grand and he canceled the next morning he's like you're right the math sucks on this my exit strategy is not going to work and so he happily left the 940 non-refundable non deposit with us. He's like, you just saved me five grand. So the offset is you saved me more than four grand overall. I'm happy with this interaction. And so we do interact well with, with newer people, especially buyers, because uh, you get to, you know, all the cards are on the table with the buyer. And, and a buyer being either someone who is willing or capable of operating a deal and, and looking at it and screening it. Yeah. Yeah. Then if they're a buyer that's not capable for those functions, it becomes a kind of a little bit of a friction there, doesn't it? It does. Cause I'm like, okay, what solution do you have in place for who's going to manage this? Um, I don't know. And, and do you have any tips and pointers? I'm like, <laughs> you gonna? I can tell you to go look for property managers on Google and, and a, a couple other places and, and, and whatnot. That's, but. that's really, and that's really where the, I guess the risk is for the seller in the scenario, right? Like overselling the buyer, the buyer's not able to perform, uh, all the things that you were trying to save them from, you know, mm -hmm. don't come to pass, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. We have we have people who are who think they're ready to close, and then they don't understand that they have to get insurance policy in the name of whoever the buyer is, whether it's the LLC or not. And so they're like, oh, I can just assign the seller's insurance proceeds to me. Well, not if title transferred. I mean, you can do an assignment of insurance proceeds, but there's going to be no proceeds for a claim because that person no longer owns the property. So let me mm -hmm. help you. My whole thing is like help me help people make informed decisions. And so as they go through that, whether as a wholesaler or a buyer, then yeah, we're just asking the questions to make sure that they understand the options available to them. So like some of the, the real things that have coming up on my deal flow is, you know, like solar liens are often a thing mm -hmm. that get looked at very closely. Homeowners yeah. association situations for whatever exit strategy that you're planning. Um, uh, you know, and then a final component that I like to do and I do in all my deals actually is the creation of a land trust and mm -hmm. uh, the that whole type of structure with an LLC and a trustee and all that. Mm -hmm. Is that something you're familiar with in Texas? I'm familiar with it. Uh, I understand that there are some technicalities with, you know, if a land trust is not created correctly in the state of Texas, it technically doesn't even exist. And so the whole thing is void from the start. So getting that correct in, in the first place is pretty important. And then... Uh, he just, I think he dropped, but I, <laughs> yeah, I will come back in. <laughs> I also want to make the point that land trusts are not operated the same way in every state. For example, I think it was Arizona. I was just reading about the, you have to disclose the, an individual's name as the one who's the, either the beneficiary or one of the roles like for a land trust. So it doesn't operate the same in Arizona as it does in Texas and Florida, et cetera. So you need to know specifically instead of, somebody watching that and being like, oh, land trust is the solution. It's not the solution. There are, there are multiple. you got to be careful. Depends on the, the deal, where it's located, the state, the jurisdiction, all of that. It's a yeah. lot. General, you know, we have a process in Texas. We haven't developed one elsewhere yet. We, we do operate right. in Florida and Georgia, but, um, you know, our primary focus has been Texas. And so all of our Texas deals, especially for the rent-by-room environment, we find mm -hmm. the Dallas, Houston, San Antonio markets very desirable. So for that model, um, you know, those are the ones that we, that we, or those, that's, that's our primary focus, so to speak. Um, yeah. In our yeah. And I so like with, with those kind of nuanced things, right. I mean, cause there's probably a lot of wholesalers that they're not just marketing in Texas, but they're marketing across, you know, state lines and, and other places there's, 
you know, a, a mortgage state, there's a deed state, there's a, you know, um, non-judicial state, there's judicial states. Um, is that, I mean, I mean, is it, is it just a matter of if, if you're working with the same closing attorney, let's just say that they have a checklist of understanding like those nuance, uh, things, do you recommend working only closing with a closing attorney in that particular state? Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to close with a title company or attorney in almost every instance, and they're going to know the local laws and the, and the way the deal has to close. So we're generally, any transaction coordinator is going to rely on the closer to close the deal. However, not necessarily to understand the implications of the sub two, which is where we need to bring in additional paperwork and make sure the power of attorney is set up correctly. Uh, and along with like the migration of the, or the transfer of ownership of the impounds account, it's and a solar lien. Here's another problem. You just mentioned solar, Frank. A title company or attorney will assume that you're going to assume that loan. You don't have to. You don't have to assume that solar lien. And so if you don't get ahead of it and tell the title company or the attorney, we're taking everything sub to, including the solar, do not contact the solar lien. I will take You might have froze up here. Frank, you still with me? I'm still here. He's froze for okay. me as well. Okay. Well, well, uh, great. Yeah, Caleb's been a, a resource of knowledge so far. It's been nice to meet him, that's for sure. Definitely. I'm, I'm glad you guys were able to finally connect. We'll give him a, a few seconds here to come back in. Um, su super interesting stuff. I, I, I'm curious. Uh, I, I already have follow-up questions, so we'll, we'll give him just a moment. Right. So how's the deal uh, progressing that we're working on in Dallas? Uh, the deal's great. Uh, we, oh, I'm on. I just switched to mobile <laughs> connection. Sorry. I'll pick All up where good. I left off. The, so I'm going to. Um, Solar liens. You don't have yeah, to I'm going to tell them. We are going to take it at face value. We're logging to the accounts, check and verify all the account balances. And we're just going to go with that. Do not contact the lender. Do not contact the solar, please. Because as soon as you do that, they're going to, they're going to, or as soon as you open escrow, if you don't tell them otherwise, they're going to pull, they're going to contact them and pull the assumption paperwork and just start, have you start filling it out. And then it's too late. Now you kind of have to. Now I've not seen people unsuccessful in assuming a solar lien. Uh, they may just have a larger deposit or something like that is, is what I've seen when it happens. And, and but those you, are those little you, things that bite you. Okay. And when, when you're, when you're saying that um, you, you don't have to take it on, if you don't take on the solar, the, the lien that's on the property, what happens? I mean, that's, that's a loan that's in the seller's name that kind of gone unpaid in that scenario. Um, uh, no, not you, gone unpaid. You're, well, so you should be agreeing. And this is part of the, the initial paperwork that slow down before you speed through that corner is let's understand what it is you're taking the, the the property subject to. You're taking it subject to, by the way, every deal is a sub two deal in one way or another. There's a right of way through the front yard for somebody to come through and dig up and run new gas lines and water lines and all the other things. You're buying it subject to those encumbrances, liens, rights of way. So every house you've ever bought in your life, I can guarantee has been a sub two deal in one, one respect or another. And what we're doing is adding to the list, subject to the rights of way of the utility companies, subject to loan number one with ABC mortgage, subject to loan number two with one, two, three solar, right? So if we list those in the contract, we're specifying this first mortgage approximate balance, $175,000 and 54 cents. And the solar lien approximate balance, $30,000 and 54 cents. It's just like that, but you should be listing those on the purchase contract. So everybody knows that's what you're taking the house property subject to. Caleb, you know, the another thing to put into that category in the same thread, um, is the the uh, uh, when they when they have like a forbearance or a, uh, a loan modification and it's been pushed back to a second deed of trust or it's like mm -hmm. another exactly uh, all liens yeah you need to identify them a whole new lien and and sometimes you know when you're starting a deal and you just look at the mortgage statement you don't realize they did a loan modification or a, a forbearance and that there's an extra ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollar lien there and that needs to or, you know or more oh I've seen a hundred and ten it's crazy. Uh, so when that stuff happens, yeah, that's, and that's where the title search comes in because a seller may not be forthcoming with that information and that's fine. We'll find it in the title search, but here's the thing. When you specify the liens that you're taking the property subject to, and another one pops up, you can say, 
I didn't say I'd take it subject to that. So if you have a, if you actually put down a good amount of EMD, you can back out, right? If you can't clear this at close of escrow, I'm, I'm going to take on the first mortgage and the solar. And apparently you did a loan mod a year ago or have COVID forbearance for $40,000. And that's popped up. I'm not taking a subject to that. And so, right, you know, okay, and Caleb, so let's, I mean, cause we could go on forever with this stuff, right? This is the, I mean, it, there's so much of it, right? And we've just begun to scratch the surface of, yeah. of the discussion. So in the context of like the, I think what, you know, this, what we do here on this podcast to show both operators and wholesalers how to work efficiently and synergistically to produce um, cash flowing investments for investors or themselves. Um, and so um, the discussion is really around, you know, like what things do I bring to the table as a wholesaler or an operator mm -hmm. that further the value proposition at the end of the day with a team of people such as your folks as, you know, transaction coordinators, you're going to have lawyers, accountants, and there needs to be someone that's spearheading it, I would generally say, that really understands how to like quarterback the whole process, right? How to make sure that all of the I's are dot and T's are crossed. And there's, and, there, and, yep. and that's not your, and so your job as a transaction coordinator is to make sure the transaction is done smoothly, efficiently, legally, and, and all of this, right? And it goes through the proper channels and processes. Sure. And so um, it's, it, I mean, this is a big discussion because, you know, a lot of folks are becoming interested in buying subject to properties and there's, you know, a whole, uh, uh, there's landmines everywhere in the field for them to step on. And it's just not a very safe environment. And so, you know, Reed and I both, both operate and wholesale um, subject to properties. And we like to work with investors on a joint venture basis. Mm -hmm. And we also created this podcast to, you know, share my story as a wholesaler. Maybe we can help other folks become wholesalers. And um, Reed is more of a specialist in operation, you know, operating these rent by room deals. And, you know, a guy like you, Caleb, could very well fit into the matrix of uh, folks that have a need for your type of service. Um, oh, absolutely. So, uh, like, can you basically break down on a general basis your fee structure so that we can understand yeah. how that works? Yeah, and, and I moved to fees instead of, because there's two ways to do it, right? To learn the to learn the ropes. You can either JV with people, which is generally anywhere from 30 to 70% of the deal goes to somebody else, or you can pay a flat fee, which I'm like, I'm going to build a business around the flat fee because JVs get messy. I don't want a ton of JVs. I want in and out. I want to help people and, and grow that way. So that's me. And we have a base rate currently, uh, what are we, Q4 of 2023? Our base rate's 1250 and it goes up from there on creative deals. We generally don't do cash deals at all, except for our um, embedded clients where they're on a, uh, they've got a recurring monthly fee to have preferred rates. And then once they're on that basis, we'll do some, we'll do the cash deals or the other things like that. Um, yeah. I just closed a self-perform and that was upwards of three grand. That because a title company said they could do this deal and it was an FHA loan and suddenly the title company drops the deal on its head and they still need to get it done. Like there's a, there's a next house purchase pending for the sellers and it has to get done. So they call me with less than a week to go. And, uh, I'm not an attorney or a CPA or any of that stuff. I'm a consultant, but I'm like, I've got copies of all the documents. We can call the previous title company, get copies of the documents. Uh, and we'll go through, put all the paperwork together. You need to take it to your own attorneys. But if you like it, you can sign it, notarize it, and I'll get it recorded with the county. And we ran it and got it done in like 72 hours or something like that. Got the deal done. So like we're, we're the wow. emergency response crew too. There's no title insurance on that, but I, I just want to make it clear that the services just, can go okay, way up. The model of deal that you just suggested probably encompasses one in three of the transactions that I buy internally. In other words... Yeah. 911 going to buy it or not going to buy it and time to buy it tomorrow. And yeah. I was with a transaction coordinator that understands the table closing or self closing process um, is actually a, a huge part of being successful is either a wholesaler or an operator. And so, yeah. because I mean, even operator working with a wholesaler, you need to be able to understand how that would work. If you like a deal, really, you really like the deal. It looks good. It's nice and juicy, but we got to buy it tomorrow. And how do we do yeah. that? Yeah. And I want to be the resource in people's pocket, right? You don't have to know all the ins and outs if you know me. You don't have to know how to self-perform if you know me and my team. And that's what my goal is to be for creative finance deals. I've also helped people solve due on sales, two of them in the last mm, 45, 60 days. Yeah. What is your experience wow. with lately? That's an interesting topic. There's not a lot of activity. 
I have done a lot of research into the enforceability of the due on sale clause, et cetera. And uh, I'm putting together a, uh, what I call a Chuck Norris package to, to, <laughs> to roundhouse kick the banks in the face when they call <laughs> the due on sale. You know what I mean? So I'm still working on putting that package together so that it's just a, uh, we can turn around and, and move really quick. I did it. I've done it manually twice now and I'm getting the hang of it, but it's, it's going to be a few more reps before I've got that all nailed down. <laughs> you have a legal team that works on that in Texas or? No, not again. I, I'll engage an attorney when and where uh, I need to, but I'm, when I engage with attorneys, I hand them stuff that's 90% complete. And I'm like, I just need your stamp of approval. They're like, well, why don't you become an attorney? I'm like, I don't want your handcuffs. Oh, why don't you become a real estate? Because I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be beholden to the rules you're beholden to. I'm a consultant. I am free as a bird, dude. Absolutely. Can, <laughs> I'll do what I want, and you guys go have it approved by attorneys. A hundred percent. Well, that's that's actually it's yeah. actually a, a great segue to uh, like kind of my my next question too is like you don't want to be an attorney, you don't want to be a real estate agent because there's all of these special interest groups. Why assume the liability? You can operate as an independent. Uh, person, yeah, no, you know, like any of us. Nobody do. can revoke my license because I don't have one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what? What would you? That was actually my question: Is what would you say? I mean, um, as far as just regular, like special interest groups, regulating uh, bodies, um, and how wholesaling is going to change, um, if if anything, if any of that is enforceable. Let's just say I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think that all wholesalers will eventually have to have? real estate license because of special interest groups you think you'll be able to continue to operating like this what what's kind of your feel of what's next i don't see rapid change but i do think that a lot there's going to be a lot more regulation because there's a bunch of idiots and douchebags out there not not caring about the people they're, whose lives they're jacking with a lot of that happens and when it happens enough it gets the attention of regulating bodies and they begin to regulate and so since we can't manage ourselves we're going to get managed. And so certain states are going to get real locked down, others to be more free. I don't think there's going to be a sweeping across the nation sort of thing, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot more prevalence for training and, and becoming at least a, a licensed real estate agent in order to do it so that so that they can sanction and regulate. Yeah, and there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just kind of screaming anyway. And so yeah. that's perfectly fine. I don't think it'll be something like where we... Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the idea of selling interest in a contract, you know, how do you regulate that process too deeply? Um, so you have to look at that. I mean, that's that's like real property, a yeah. contract property. There's so it's like always going to be a workaround. Right. I mean, on my website, I've got a quote from from me that says there's a paperwork <laughs> dance around any issue that you come up against. <laughs> so I mean, what, what's the solution? If I'm going under contract, let's just put the property in a trust immediately that's how we start and then i i sell the trustee or the uh, the beneficiary interest boom done like that's it right and 100%. so wholesaling started since the beginning of time and it'll go on till the end of time there'll be no ending the idea that it can be stopped is it's just you know i think the part of it in wholesaling that's really kind of rubbed people the wrong way recently is a lot of this sms blasting and uh robo voicemail blasting that these wholesalers are doing, I think is the biggest new, the biggest nuisance, not so much, um, they're actually like conducting a deal, right? Mm. Uh, it's more of them. And then also the, a lot of folks lie and cheat, of course, but yeah, uh, I mean, I've got a controversial opinion in the wholesaler space about the, the texting and the cold calling and whatnot that everybody's encouraged to never tell your company name, never do this, never do that. Like don't be traceable in any fashion. Uh, basically operate real shady so that nobody can pin you down and you get in trouble. And I'm like, okay, but the other side is as a consumer, if I'm on the do not call list and you're one of the D bags who keeps calling me and texting me without my permission, and why are you complaining when you get sanctioned? Somebody brings a lawsuit against you. You know, you've been dot like it's no, it's not unfair. There's a law. You broke it knowingly. And now and you're complaining that you got nailed. I'm in favor of, of nailing people who violate those laws. And if you can't take the, the heat, get out of the kitchen. And you're starting at trying to start a business relationship on the wrong foot. Like right off the bat, you're just disrespecting another person and trying to do business at the same time. It doesn't make sense. And I'll, I, I'll, I'll... I think it does make sense from, from one other side though. It, you know, like when there's a fine for doing something, that means that's just the cost to do it if you get caught. And so, and it, yeah, right. It's not a moral, you're, you got You make a good point. It's not really necessarily a moral 
situation. But at the same time, I don't necessarily like to participate as much in the robocalling as a wholesaler. I'm a big sure. proponent of, um, and it is it's just a cost of doing business. Like for example, bandit signs are the same way. You know, you put yep. bandit signs out and you get fines and it's a part of doing business. And right. if you if you make more than than you lose, then I guess you're a winning business. It's not my style. I'm not going to do it. I understand the thinking. And it's if you've got that healthy, aggressive business mindset that's like, hey, this is the cost of doing business. And if I factor it into my my profit and loss, then we're good. And, I, I know, understand that line of thinking. But complaining yeah. that you get fined, I think, is just uh, victim mindset, poor business person practices. Well, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big advocate of direct mail uh, for, for finding deals. It's my really? favorite okay. mode of marketing. And so I, I find, I, I get really probably 80% of my deals from direct mail processes wow. that I've, and I, I'll share that, you know, part of what Reed and I are doing is sharing some of those kind of little tricks to the trade that we both operate inside of. And, um, now direct mails, a more sophisticated approach because it requires more upfront cost. Right. But yeah. if you get a barrier of the upfront cost, it's really nice because you take all the risk off the table for the regulatory compliance, for start like having good relationships with people, yeah. start off on the right foot and end on the right foot. It, um, it's almost like an inbound lead at that point, right? You're just making yourself available. Uh, you're, you're putting yourself in front of them, so that's your outbound. But then by the, if they reach out to you, you could consider that an inbound lead, right? You've made yourself available. They're reaching in. They're expressing interest in you. They're easier to do a deal with because you know how their level of interest when they call you. I'll also add that, you know, from a closer's perspective, you have a position of strength on the first oh, call, yeah. which, right? And so, yeah. like, um, you know, as, I mean, everybody should start where they can start, bootstrap your way up if you can, or you have to. But the goal should be to become more sophisticated in your marketing outreach, your processes and systems, that develop inbound leads, quality, high quality yeah. that don't annoy people to create, right? Yeah. And I think that's a big part of being a good ethical and, and efficient wholesaler. At the end of the day, I found that it actually, not only is it like what I believe to be ethical, which is a subjective thing, but anyway, um, uh, it's also more efficient for myself, right? And so um, I'm, I'm a big advocate for, you know, wholesalers that are looking at becoming in, involved in creative finance to, to look at things like, um, direct mail. I'll even add bandit signs to that. I do well with bandit signs. Also sure. door knock can be highly effective Yeah. and great ways to get into the dirt of the deal, like, and, and do the heavy lifting of learning how they go down, talking to sellers, you know, solving problems. Um, and, and to me, those are like the best way to go about it as opposed to just trying to blast a bunch of phone numbers and sit in your office and do that. Not saying that doesn't work. Just, just making yeah. my own, uh, from a wholesale perspective. Well, that's yeah, that's I, really that's really what what business is, though, right? It's just like it's solving problems. Um, is I mean exactly what you just said. So it's like whether it's you you helping somebody get out of foreclosure or have a different way to sell their their property, whatever else, and get out of the situation because oftentimes sub two deals are more distressed, right? So, um, you know, seller finance deals are more um, you know a gain versus a pain, right? Kind of scenario. Um, so you're you're solving that problem, and then obviously with with co-living specifically, you know when we're finding these properties, we're seeing if it could work, we're underwriting it, we're looking at it, we finally get it, you know, closed, um, and we're we put it into the marketplace. You're taking an asset, um, and you're you're basically creating several different lower price point offerings in the marketplace with very nice housing that just wouldn't exist um, any other way. So effectively, yeah. it's like, that's kind of what I view all of our jobs are. It's just, we're all just independently solving problems effectively, right? Yeah, I like it. Uh, and for the audience, if you guys haven't heard of Alex Hormozzi, fantastic resources from him. But one of the things he talks about is as a, as a business, one product, one channel, $1 million. Don't don't diversify. Don't spread out very. No, he's not saying don't do anything else, but he's saying don't focus on so many different things. Don't spread yourself too thin with marketing methods and all these things. Pick one channel to market. Market that really hard. Master it until you've earned one million dollars a year on that one product. Now, I'll, that may or may that. not be the right fit for your specific organization, but trying to do direct mail and trying to do cold calling and trying to do uh, pay-per-click and all these other things like dabble a little bit for fun and just to experiment, but you really need to find which one you want, double, triple down on that until you really master 
that because that's where the 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 depth of revenue comes from mastering a marketing channel and he's like don't even bother with the others until you get to the point where you're pulling a million dollars off of one channel i love that i love that because i think people get the advice you know the average millionaire has seven streams of income yeah. right and they just go they didn't start that means I seven, did. <laughs> exactly they got really good at one thing and then they just you yeah. know they happen to figure way out to kind of uh, mitigate liability over time. Yeah. And so they got into several streams. I'll tell you, I'm an idea guy. I'm nursing four really good business ideas and, and, uh, and then creative TC and I've stopped. I've, I'm focusing on creative TC. It's a year and a half old as a company. It's got, it's picking up momentum. I'm doubling my team size this quarter. And again, the next quarter for in Q1. Uh, but I have to like not run off and, and chase squirrels so hard for me. But I also just with my business team, I was like, I have to get these ideas out in the open. And so we chatted and I'm like, this is a great idea because this, this and this. And we fleshed out the idea. We're like, we love that idea. And I was like, but we're here right now. We need to finish this. What's my number one problem right here? What's my number two problem? How can I influence those? I'll take notes on this other thing. I'll start that business in, in six months, you know, and then out of the four, four or five ideas I've got, I'm like, all of them have to get the ax except one. And I start preparing for the next one. How many are good? Most of them. How many can I do? One. And because yeah. I can only do one, I'm not even touching the one great idea. It's probably a better idea than Creative TC is. However, I don't want to lose my momentum with this business. I need this business to hit $1 million, one marketing channel, one product before I go chase the next one. That's there, there's a really there's a really great saying about that, too, is like you you've obviously scaled up enough to a certain point that by the time you're ready to go do that second channel and that that second thing. Oh, yeah. You you a have has cash in the bank. B have a track record. C have a team. All of those kinds of things. But the saying that I, I was alluding to is that millionaires try to figure out how they can go do things um, themselves and, you know, with their own time. Billionaires try to find a person or a system that they can basically delegate that to. Just because I have the idea, just because I'm, I'm I want to implement the idea, it doesn't mean that I'm the one that needs to be doing it. Is that yeah. would you say I, that's I don't accurate? Know how many, you, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how many uh, screws Elon Musk has turned in his factory on on Teslas. <laughs> Probably none. He doesn't have to. He found the right people and put them in place. And right now, I'm on that entrepreneur journey where I'm the one turning screws and making phone calls and doing all the things. But my goal is to train up a team along with me so that this train has enough momentum to carry itself down the track while I start the next thing. And with those two, the sky's the limit. When I've got two of those major streams of income, you got to build it up to get to that point where it runs and it continues producing revenue and use that to go do the next thing. And when you pull capital out of this one thing you're already doing, that's where, sorry, we're kind of off of real oh, estate this is a great. Bit here, but it's, it's, it's entrepreneurship. Life. I can take this, this funding because I could have done way faster with Creative TC if I had the the funds to like just bankroll starting and training and all this other stuff. But I was bootstrapping it because uh, I quit a W2 to, to start this company. And so it's been bootstrapped from the beginning for a year and a half. Um, the second business is going to go so much faster when I can afford to just bankroll staff salaries to get us up and running and marketing budget and all the other things. Huge it's difference. So Instead of trying to bootstrap two or three things at one time, you'll never get anywhere. So wholesalers who, who who have your minds split between two or three other things. I get it if you've got a W-2. I get it if you've got this other stuff going on. But if you've got two or three part-time gigs and wholesaling, you're going to have to take the ax to some stuff to get good. And if wholesaling is what you want to do, you got to do it. 100%. Yeah, wholesaling is a very difficult business and it's it's glamorized by a lot of folks because mm -hmm. it's very profitable but it's very actually a very small segment of wholesalers that actually make good money yeah. and that's the and um you know i think that becoming a good wholesaler is is like mostly work ethic right of just getting in there and doing the reps every single day and figuring out and perfecting processes as you move forward from that um but you know it, looking at also from reed's perspective um, he needs to also understand a, a, a wholesaler extremely well, right? How do you read a wholesaler in their actions, what they do or what they don't do, right? Tells you a lot. And so yeah. um, the, the, like the, the, the art of wholesaling is something that needs to be understood by actually all, all participants in a deal um, because it's got to be underwritten. It's a very, it, 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 there's a lot of places where there could be, you know, traps waiting for things you didn't know about if you don't properly look at it. 
Right. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm glad that I, so I was never, you know, my one thing was wholesaling, but I'm glad that I got into my own deals. I was direct to seller, you know, whole, whole, um, wholesaling, you know, a little bit, but never, you know, never the main thing. And so I'm, I'm really glad you have been a realtor, gone through the process of that, done a little bit of a lot of different things in real estate because it, it gave me a lot of the context and vernacular and, I would just say understanding situationally what's going on, right? Like I, I was talking to, I was you know, looking at my own personal home uh, and I was just like talking to, you know, a, a realtor directly, not, not even that long ago. And I understood exactly the game that they were playing as far as like what questions to ask, you know, someone that's like, oh, this guy's unrepresented. I'm going to try to double in this entire, you know, this entire thing. Yeah. And now you're, you're like, okay, so my entry fee was whatever I was going to have to give to the seller. Now it's whatever I was going to have to give to the, the realtor and all of this. And it's just like, you understand the context of what's going on, just having gone through it. Yeah. So I, I know there's a lot of people who are like, I got a zero cash to seller deal. And they think that means there's zero cash due at closing. I'm like, if that person had an agent, you still have to bring the agent's cash. That, sorry. Oh, that's not fair. That's not what I negotiated. <laughs> You got to deal with it. It's it's the situation that you're in. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's not for everyone, but for those that have the heart, you know, for it and the work ethic, um, it's a great business to be in, and I enjoy it. I'm I'm completely infatuated with you know real estate and wholesaling. I, I really enjoy finding deals. I enjoy the hunt of it, um, and even you know now that I'm you know transitioning more to even buying deals myself. Um, I still enjoy the hunt of wholesaling deals. It's it's a it's a business that I've always enjoyed. Um, and right now, I'll, I'll share that I think that um, although cash deals have basically died, like basically completely, I don't want anything to do with them. Um, but uh, the the creative financing deals are burning red hot. If you know how to if you know how to structure a deal properly and negotiate with a seller and market to sellers efficiently, there's a lot of money to be made you know, either like also wholesaling, but also doing what like Reed often does, which is like uh, being more of an operator and JVing with the money to, to bring the deal to the finish line. Right. I mean, and yeah. the way that I, the way that I look at it too, uh, with, with deals is, you know, because I'm on the operator side, I'm, I'm overseeing the entire thing. I'm making sure that it goes well. Um, there's responsibility in it. Um, the way that I look at it is, you know, for, for any deal that I'm in, generally speaking, and this isn't always true, but I either say you can either have my time, which is me being the operator, you can have, you know, my money, um, you know, which is just me investing passively, but you can't have both, right? You know, so many people, I think, try to get into these transactions and they need to understand, I, I, I suppose, what they're actually truly bringing to the table, right? Because, um, you know, the execution is, is huge, uh, but, you know, you got to have, you know, one of those you know, two, three pieces to actually put together to bring to the table. And so uh, I think it's all going to come down. I mean, for, for the operators out there, I think it's all going to come down to being able to explain that value and, um, you know, like, hey, here's the track record. Here's what I've already done. Um, and, you know, here's here's where, I, where I'd like to be. You know, this is a stepping stone for it. Your money is great. Your money is appreciated and, and we'll, we'll treat it um, just as we would our own. But that being said, it's like, you know, why why would I also put, money into the deal unless there's like a slam dunk you know there's something I'll, I'll buy myself whatever else but you get the point of like i feel like people need to bring one one of the pieces in order to um, really make it kind of worthwhile so um well great well um so just to transition here i mean just a few minutes left um i guess yeah go ahead caleb can i can i just make one prediction as of october 2023 i'm looking at my calendar let's hear uh, it here's my my observation in doing like 300 plus deals in the last year as a transaction manager. So I've, I've touched all those deals, seen them from the inside. The average cost to close based on my recollection is somewhere between 30 and $60,000 on creative finance deals. Okay. Cash to close with a, a, a concentration in the 40 to 50 range. Okay. That's, that's not for rent by the room ones that, which includes uh, renovations to get it up to an, like, what is the, what's your dollar amount? When you buy one, you know, you're going to make it rent by the room. Do you have a fixed budget? Like, I know I'm going to spend 15,000 or what's that number for you? It, it's, it's not fixed, but I'd say 15 would probably be the max in most of these scenarios. If we're going to go ahead and okay. convert a garage and things like that. Yeah. So just yeah. for like a uh, rule of thumb, like quick underwrite, uh, what's my cash on cash? 15,000. Yeah. So that's the number you'd pick. 
So okay. if I've got a deal, a creative deal that's normally 15k cash to close, but like what we really need uh, for the full entry fee is going to include your renovations, which is 10 to 15k. Yeah, so, okay. absolutely. All right. That's so my pre prediction is bring that whole process to the table of managing the build out, the lease up, the decor, yeah. Yeah. the land going up. Right. So there's there's more there. Yeah. So 60 to 75 ish oh, okay. would be our total entry fee. You know, I tell people there's my cash to close, which is my entry fee. Ah, and then, there's okay. you know, almost double of that to, to really get in. So. OK, so the difference between so you're saying 60 to 70 for your type of deal. Almost always for it these could be less. It could be less. Sure. It could be in the fifties um, for sure. But I, I would it's say almost range. always. So. Fifty to seventy versus my thirty to sixty. So yeah. if you take one of my deals and and you execute as one of yours, you just shift it up by twenty five to thirty k. Got it. Okay. So I just wanted to understand what that spread is between a regular single family rental versus a rent by the room model. It's going to increase by that exactly. Much. And for, so, for any of you, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go go with your prediction. I was just going to mention the calculator when you get a moment. So go oh, ahead. Sure. So with that context in mind, here's my prediction. Creative finance deals, and I'm going to go with my numbers. You just adjust for yours. Creative finance deals, if they cost between 30 and 60K to close right now, over the next year or two, they're going to start to go to 40 to 70 and 50 to 80. And that's still going to be a deal. The reason is, these low interest loans are what we're after. The high interest loans are not that attractive. So yes, there will be some that are the lower closing cost, cash to close. However, the most lucrative deals are the ones with the low interest payments. And so the rates aren't coming down anytime too soon. And if they do, great. But it's the age of those deals means more cash is needed to that seller to really get into the deal. Unless you're getting seller finance, but People don't oh, like sure. financing ten thousand dollars, so I think that the the cash to close is going to go up five or ten k every year, on average, in oh, general, sure. because the the good loans are getting older. Uh, you know, over the last six months, I've taken down a few deals internally that I hadn't planned to, just last minute had to close them kind of things, and the general entry fee of what I was paying and what I've been able to sell them for as time progressed, two or three months later, has basically been an upward trajectory over the last year, and I would suggest that that's going to increase as you're saying and and i think that the demand for these type of deals is only going to increase um and as the awareness increases right and the greater need will be placed on folks like us that can you manage one aspect of it appropriately for for someone that's new to it because it is it is you know kind of i mean although it's been around for i think we been lost for a long time been a long, but it's changing no, oh here it comes he's coming back in <laughs> oh man internet's great when it works <laughs> yeah. you're saying it was it's been around for a long time been I, was around. Gonna, I guess you're saying it's changing still no i mean it's still subject to i mean subject to is subject to right oh. so um it's just it's subject to has been around since the beginning of whatever it's nothing new but it's it's people's awareness of it right that's changing well, and so that changes good. the deal and a lot of the people that are becoming aware of it are realtors and title agents and um, all the other you know, folks that work in real estate are, are realizing this is actually one of the only games left in town right now with interest rates the way they are. Yeah, completely. And, and I think with the, the, the rising, let's just say, entry fee, my cash to close, right, uh, going up a bit, it might, it might be necessary to start you know, at some point once we get there to raise more money. But I, I would just say... It's not even just the things that are kind of uh, would be going against your, your cash on cash return unless you're raising uh, rental rates to um, accommodate that would be also things like, OK, I just got into this deal. I would typically have, you know, this much in holding costs because it's going to cost me this much from a monthly expense. But, you know, obviously with the, the current environment we're in, you got to get to pay attention to things like utility bills and uh, things like that and insurance continuing to, to increase as well. So. I think that when when that happens more, I, I think we're going to continue to see an upward pressure on rents um, just to that alone. Because I mean, especially with these pad split scenarios, you know, you're a lot of times factoring in the utility bills um, as a part of your your total monthly um, mm -hmm. maintenance expense. So I think there's an upward pressure on all the things. Yeah, understanding the underwriting for your different type of deal is critical. Uh, and I'll I'll say this too, like when you shop for a transaction coordinator. There's a wide variety of capability sets. So 
ask for referrals, ask for look at their experience level because somebody who does not understand underwriting of a deal is not going to be able to, if you're new, you don't want a new TC who only knows I put in these four documents in closing and manage some emails. There's administrative assistant transaction coordinators who charge the same rates as me. I think my rates are appropriate for what I'm doing. And I think it's silly that some people who are doing the basic stuff are charging my rates. Does that mean my rates need to go up? Maybe, but I don't really think so. I think I've hit, I, I'm in the sweet spot for price range for what's fair. What I'll say is if somebody complains about the rate, it's usually someone that's not going to be successful in the business, right? And um, at the end of the day, if you're not doing three or four deals a month, you're not really you're not really making a good income in this business, in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's what you need to be at to kind of have the systems and investments in place to make the whole thing run anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I'll say that, you know, it's probably often a better match for you to be with more sophisticated operators and wholesalers or buyers or whatever. The more make less of each deal. The better they are, the better. Um, yeah. And so and let me bring up a few points, you know, because I, I operate in that category. I do five to 10 deals a month. And so here's some things that I've noticed in my experience working with transaction coordinators that have really made or break, made or break uh, a deal, right? And one of the first things that comes to mind right off the bat is doing a preliminary title search, right? Before you send it to the title company, pulling it up and see, is there anything we can find right away that we can leverage in negotiations on the acquisition? Like a lot of times you sign a contract and then you, you don't find out till the title's already been open two weeks later or 10 days later what the actual picture is. So doing a title search on day one brings up any red flags and allows you to go back and renegotiate. And that's often desirable. Yeah. And so that aspect of working with a TC that does a prelim title search as I send the file in. And then the other, on the other side of the deal is to working with a title company that I can call at 6 p.m. and tell them I need to close, you know, day after tomorrow. Um, or, at, at, you know, do a table closing, a self-closing, self-performing closing. Um, having those two like specialty tools in my pocket as a guy that's doing deal flow has been two, I would say, big changes that help me that I would make an advice to or suggestion to uh, anybody working with any TC, right? Yeah. Um, do you have experience doing working with those processes or like doing prelim title search as a file comes in? Yeah. So I offer that sometimes. Most people are not willing to pay that and pay for two title searches. So we push pretty hard to at title companies to give us a preliminary title search ASAP. Because you're right, looking at that is how we tell what, what liens are on the property, what encumbrances there are. And so we do ask for it early. Some companies are good about it, some are not. And we can always go to protitleusa.com and I don't make any money off of that. I, like literally, it's like $87.50 up to like 150, depends on what state you're on in, but you can get a title search back in four business hours. So if you really think there's a smoking deal or something you want to look into it yourself, you can, and you can pull that title search and find out what liens and encumbrances, who all is on title, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but in most cases, within two to three days of getting the contract and opening escrow, we've got a preliminary title search back, and that fits most people's timelines just okay, just fine. If you have a specific like need, then yeah, we build yeah. a practice and a, and a and something right around that. But you're also working in a specific geographic region, and you can work with the same title companies statewide as opposed to so for me i've got people coming in from different states every every day it's a different state coming in so we, we've built good relationships but there some we don't control are, enough of those your, title companies <laughs> how are your closing relationships in georgia um and louisiana and florida uh we've got one louisiana is weird we've got a uh two closing attorneys in louisiana we've used i don't have any problems with them but Anytime I'm dealing with a closing attorney, they're the one that wants to drive the car. And we're just like a backseat driver saying, hey, don't miss this turn and stuff like that. And I've gone to bat with attorneys to to change terms on final paperwork because that's not what the contract says. So we read that stuff and we compare that. We read the full closing packet and all the disclosures that everybody signs. That said, uh, Louisiana's weird. We've got a couple that we work okay with. Georgia has several creative-friendly attorneys that we can turn to. What was the other one? Uh, Florida and Texas are the, that's those those yeah, are the Florida and Texas are hot man. They are busy markets. We've got plenty of title companies in in both states or closing attorneys that'll that work creative deals. Yeah, I like well, Texas for my number one choice and Florida number yeah. two. Texas is a well, great place to be a lender too. If you're lending on deals, if you're a PML and you want to lend on deals, Texas is a great state to lend because you get very favorable foreclosure laws against the defaulter. 
No, Texas is a great market. The only downside is the tax bill at the end of the year. Freaking property taxes, homeboy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Caleb, yeah. I uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're we're just about to hit the the top of the hour here. I think we could probably go on for <laughs> maybe you know a couple more hours easily. Um, but I, I do want to direct people to, you know, where they can find you, um, best yep. places to, you know, reach you and, and work with you. And, and I also want to give a shout out to the, uh, the deal calculator as well that you have. So, um, if you want to get the last, you know, couple minutes here, um, and dive sure. into that, that would be great. Yeah. You guys can find me at creativetc.io and we've got free bookable chats on now. You're not going to talk with Caleb specifically. You'll talk with one of my team, but we've got free 15 minute chats available on the homepage. I have a creative uh, underwriting calculator at creativeunderwriter.com where we, we do biweekly calls with just live underwrite. So if you've got a deal you want to underwrite or you saw one come across and you're like, why is this a deal or not a deal? A lot of times you'll see deals posted by wholesalers as entry fee $19,000. But when we really look at it, the entry fee is more like 20, 29 or 49 or something crazy like that. And so it's like, how do we reconcile that? Because they don't understand what they're talking about. So we teach you how, what assumptions to throw in, what questions to ask in the, in the creative underwriter. And that's a, a special spreadsheet there. Uh, creative TC and creative underwriter are the main things I've got going. You can find me on YouTube, Caleb Christopher. I don't think there's too many of, of us out there with the same name. You'll know when you find me. It's all about real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Instagram, username F Caleb Christopher. Yeah, that's it. And I, I post both personal and, and uh, real estate stuff there. I love it. Thank you, Caleb, for your time. It, it's been a pleasure. I, I think everyone's learned a lot. And um, yeah, definitely check him out uh, when you guys get the chance. If you're not using a great TC or you just want to explore those, those options, definitely uh, go to all those channels he just mentioned. Other than that, we thank everybody for, the, for their time, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next Sunday. See you guys.